0: On today's podcast is my guest Stacy Brass Russell. Now Stacy and I have so much in common that we unpack in this episode. Stacy Brass Russell is the founder of Inspired Evolution LLC. Is a master life coach and intuitive business strategist. Her mission is to help soulful and creative individuals embrace change and evolve so they can use their gifts skills and passion to prosper in life and business. See what I mean? A lot in common. Stacy has been on Broadway, uh uh-huh, is a highly certified yoga teacher, uh uh-huh, and resides in New York City with her psychoanalyst husband, okay, that's where we differ, Christopher, and their two cats, Ella and Charmaine. In this episode, you'll learn how change is a practice, why confidence is gained through vulnerability, and uncovering the importance of risk. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Stacy Brass Russell, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I am so happy to be here too. We met, gosh, it's been over 10 years ago through our mutual friend, Spring. Yes. Who has been a guest on this podcast as well. Yes,
1: I know. And I love her topic.
0: (laughs) But we met through her because of our connection to two different worlds. We both come from Broadway and we both come from the yoga circles. Yep. (laughs) So let's back up and talk a bit about your journey because I think it's super interesting and really relevant to what I want to talk to you about today, which is the idea of change and evolution. So back me way the heck up all the way back to when you were okay mm-hmm. you were on Broadway in Annie yes. as a kid I'm I'm like full on fanboying
1: <laughs> 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 and I understand yeah so when I was 10 I was in the original production of Annie I wasn't I wasn't Annie I was one of the orphans um and I was in the show for 2 years and it was obviously a life changing I mean life-changing in that it was such a special experience. And even then when I was in the show, I knew how special it was there. I do talk to people (laughs) now um, and you and I are probably in the same generation. I do talk to people now who were not alive when Annie, and I reference, I say to them, Annie was like the Hamilton of Broadway. I mean, that kind of (laughs) sensation. Right. So I knew that I was, I was getting to do something very, very special, and I never considered doing anything other than being a Broadway performer. So from that time, anything I ever thought about as my grown-up life was that I was going to be on Broadway and be a professional performer, and that was my trajectory. You know, that was my track. I went to NYU for theater. And I only applied to NYU because after Annie, I did things, you know, I worked, I wasn't on Broadway again right away, but I never wanted to leave New York City. I, I knew that I had a, you know, my career had already started. So I went to NYU and I was working while I was in school and I got cast in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway right before I was supposed to be, well, actually I got cast in a show at the Public and then, the, and then uh, Fiddler. And so I didn't finish college. And I was really doing the New York City be an actor thing. And, you know, part of my story is that my father passed away while I was at NYU and Mm. uh, unexpectedly. And that was a very, you know, it was very interesting how that impacted my time in show business. And I'll I'll be really honest about it. You know, most of my friends coming out of NYU still had support of their parents financially. Like you're an actor in New York City and you're 21 years old and you need headshots and you need to continue taking your lessons and go to your coach and, and no amount of waiting tables can really like pay for that and rent and all of that so you know I, I very quickly didn't really have the support system and so I was always like whenever I wasn't in a show or wasn't you know doing commercials and voiceovers um, I did have to you know wait tables and do catering jobs and all that and so um, this is leading somewhere, which is that at some point, and we had had a Screen Actors Guild strike, and so my commercial and voiceover career was on hold. And I had been making good money supplementing my, like my my, you know, theater life, and I had to just start working so much more in catering, and I was so miserable. And at the same time, I had started practicing yoga, and I was going to yoga class like. Every day, practically, and I was working as at the desk in exchange, you know, for my classes so that I could afford to go to yoga so much. And the studio I was at was having a teacher training, and they said, You're you would be an amazing yoga teacher, you know, we'll we'll give you a scholarship. Oh, wow, to do your yoga teacher training. Well, I had to work and be a yogi and you know, the karma yogi role and and all that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, maybe this would be a, a more enjoyable way for me to make money when, you know, in addition to my acting, you know, like, so I I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm quitting theater, but I thought, oh, I, I bet you I would enjoy that so much more because I used to fantasize when I was taking class about my own playlists that I would make for class. And when you're a performer and especially you, you got to be a producer. I, I, I definitely have like a producer inside of me. Like I want to be the one to like make the whole experience and dim the lights and find the perfect Shavasana music and, you know, really create this like transporting, you know, this, this experience. And so I started teaching yoga and I developed a following rather quickly and this really interesting thing happened, and I started feeling like the fact that, that in show business, other people get to decide whether or not you get to do your, your amazing work. It was so frustrating.
0: I'm so smiling right now because it, we have such parallel journeys in that sense, and that I was a dancer. I, you know, was doing national tours and Broadway and Radio City, and, and I was miserable, miserable because I felt like I had no sense of power. And of course, you know, I, I tell this story a lot, that I was standing on stage and I'd look up at the light and I'd be like, well, that's not the right light. And why are they wearing that costume? And I had way too many opinions for what they wanted from me, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And I felt like I just couldn't, I couldn't have any control, any sense of control. And that is why I stopped being an actor, ultimately, because it, it wasn't right for me. Now, know, other people... It's perfect for them. It is what they are meant to do in this world, right? Right. For me, like you, I needed something else.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, if I was producing my own shows of myself, I think that, that I, you know, like, I don't think for me it's the performing. I think it was this, that I got to the point where the frustration of that. Everybody else got to decide if I even got to audition for something like I literally was, you know, this person who had been on Broadway and um, supposedly so talented. And and yet I was living this life where every single day I had I had nonstop agita that like my agent couldn't get me in. They can't get me in. I can't get in. I can't get the audition. And it just felt like what is this life of where other people get to to make these decisions about whether or not I'm even I'm even worthy of getting to audition in front of someone.
0: Totally. I remember going to these dance calls where we'd we'd walk in and they'd bring us in at like twenty at a time and just have a stand there and then decide, well, you get to auditioning and you get to audition and you get to audition and the rest of you goodbye. After you wasted like hours of yeah. your day. And I was like This is just not for me making, having my life in the palm of everybody else's hand.
1: Exactly. And at a whim, like where it doesn't even necessarily even make sense. So for me, I think it wasn't even, it wasn't conscious. I wasn't like I said, Oh, I'm I'm quitting show business. But when you stop putting energy into something, meaning when you stop calling your agent every day, Mm. being like, why aren't they giving me this? Have you gotten this breakdown? You know, I was paying for like, the breakdown secretly so that I could know what I, you know, what I was, you know, what I was missing out on.
0: I might have known your dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah, so, you know, I am the dealer. So, you know, I think it was this gradual thing. And then all of a sudden, like the yoga, I started becoming really popular as a yoga teacher and it, I was getting so much satisfaction out of creating these these experiences for people and and feeling like I was having impact on their lives and making them feel better and, you know, people coming up to me and telling me how much they loved being in my class because of how it made them feel. And I just went with it, which is something that I think so many people don't allow themselves to do all the time. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, like, there's
0: resistance for most people to this.
1: Absolutely. So
0: how, what was it within you that allowed you to, to say, I'm going to go with it?
1: I think that I am the kind of person that, and I've talked about this a lot, that says yes, even if I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that what allowed me to really go with the yoga at that time and not doubt myself or question or think I was failing as an actor is I think that at that time I thought, well, this is me still using my gifts and my skills. And if I want to sing and act, I'll be able to figure out how I'm going to do that too.
0: Yes, and.
1: It was a yes, and. I never thought, oh, I can't do that anymore. I mean, maybe it won't look the same. Maybe, you know, maybe I don't have an agent anymore. But I I think that at that time, I felt like what I was doing in in the yoga classroom was actually an extension of Mm -hmm. using all of the same Many of the same things, my personality, my charisma, my voice, my love of movement, of music. I was doing so many things that all come from that same place. I was being fulfilled in a way. I mean, I don't want to say something icky like that being a yoga teacher is a performance because I don't think that. But I do think holding space and carrying a room for 90 minutes, I do think that takes something that is very similar to performing.
0: Yes, I think there's a reason that so many performers become yoga teachers. I think yeah. that there's a connection there of like you're saying holding the room, holding space, not that you are performing, but you are but you know how to manage energy.
1: That's exactly it. And how to create an experience that moves people. Yeah. And, you know, when I really think about, like, what is it about being on stage for me that I get so much out of? It's the, it's the feeling that I get when I know that I've elicited or created a way for someone to have an emotional experience or to feel moved. And that's something that I talk about a lot is how important it is. Like, when people refer to themselves as jaded or, you know, these kind of self-deprecating things my immediate reaction is that I, I feel so sorry for that and I don't want them to feel that way because what that means is that they feel like their heart is not movable anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they don't get moved by things. And I think it's, that's a very, very important thing to never let happen. I think that performers and teachers of you know things like yoga and that create experiences, that create wellness experiences, I think a big part of what, at least for me, that's about is helping other people to have an experience that taps them in to their heart, to their soul.
0: And that's exactly what yoga did for me. Because I think I was that person in my 20s. It was like, I'm jaded. I'm over it. Smoking a cigarette, puff, puff. And the reality was, is I was just hurting. Mm-hmm. And by tapping into the yoga, tapping in, it, it took me into this heart experience. So I'm so thankful for my teacher's yeah. Led the way for me then to be able to teach others, but it was that experience that I had with them and tapping in to the heart.
1: And I think that is a big connection of a through line for, you know, you're saying like theater, yoga. I do think that is a big part of what I think is a through line for me, at least like yeah. that everything I do. And when I do that reflection, right, which we do, I look back and I go, yeah, what has my journey been from performer, yoga teacher then teaching other people how to be teachers. Because, you know, when I was growing up and I went to sleepaway camp, I choreographed, I directed, all of this was coming together. It was almost like all of the things, when I look back, were were really kind of coming together. And then, you know, I opened my own studio and then eventually becoming a coach, it was really about, and this is performing as well. It was really starting to realize that I felt like the studio was too small. I felt like my ability to share my message to share my heart to serve to help other people I really started to feel like how am I gonna like get outside of running this business is so hard and it's like it's so all-consuming like I don't know like it feels like I can't do anything anymore I stopped being able to see myself getting to be on stage. I stopped seeing myself being able to reach a wider, mm. you know, uh, audience. And that was a big part of my transition.
0: Yeah, you know, I, there's there's so much there because we do have such parallel experiences in that then I went on to teach teachers as well. Thousands of yoga teachers out there. Hello, my former students. Thank you so much for listening <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. and spreading the, the wisdom, passing it on to the next generation and so on and so on. I did not buy a yoga studio, but I thought about it. <laughs> I really did. I, I really thought about it. But ultimately, I couldn't figure out how to make it work financially.
1: Well, you know, I'll tell you. And this could, this could have been just maybe you even intuitively knew this. I'm sure there's, I'm sure that's possible. For me, in order to survive with a yoga studio in New York City, you have to pump out more teacher trainings than mm. it really is, I think, reasonable. Yes. You know, and you know how you were saying, like, why is that light like that? Why is the, you know, why are they wearing that costume? Well, I'll tell you that when I was in Fiddler on the Roof and Jerome Robbins, we, we were blessed. Right before we opened on Broadway, Jerome Robbins came and did, like, you know, a special, like, three-hour rehearsal with us. And there we are. And and that production we had, it was being directed by Ruth Mitchell, who was, you know, she was the original stage manager of Fiddler, right? Like, and we we're doing original choreography, original staging, original everything, original voice inflection. I mean, literally, like, that show is stylized to the, mm-hmm. you know, to everything. And it works. It's perfect, right? And then Jerome Robbins comes, and he's, like, putting these little finishing touches and, and everything. And then we start doing the show and I see people not doing the hand the right way in tradition or not doing it, like not doing it the way that he said. And I, I can't even tell you, Nick, like what, like I literally felt like I wanted to be like a tail and go to the stage manager and be like, don't you see that people aren't yeah. doing what Jerome Robbins said that we're supposed to like, why is that? Why are you letting that go? And so I definitely carry that through as a yoga teacher trainer in that, like, I respect lineage. I have such high regard for teachers and for my mentors and my teachers and the lineage that I come from in yoga. I only want to teach other people to be amazing yoga teachers. I don't want to do factory style yoga teacher training. And what happened with the studio was that It started to become evident that a yoga studio does not make money from the students buying monthly (laughs) unlimited cards and whatever. And you can't jack up your prices. Everyone gets mad, right? You can't, like, charge $35 a yoga class. And so the model is very difficult because the only way to survive is to to do the big-ticket stuff which is teacher trainings, and you have to pump them out. Especially
0: in New York City. I mean, I think yeah. that that is kind of universal in the way in which yoga has evolved in the West, but really in New York City because of rent prices. Like, uh, right. it's, I mean, how else? Yes. How else can right. you really survive? And so I think I, I, I did intuit that. I did see that. But I, of course, went on to run other businesses, including a theater company. And, you know, so we have that in common. What I find interesting is that throughout all of this, you've been able to weather these changes. What in in your mindset allows you to have the belief to know that you can manage these changes as they occur?
1: When I started practicing yoga over 20 years ago. I think that part of my journey with yoga has made that possible. And I actually think that, a big part of what i have been very lucky to have and i've really learned that this comes from your support system when you're younger i've never had a problem with confidence i've had other things that i've had to deal with but i've never had a problem with believing in myself and now i work with so many people who don't get to start out that way who don't start with that belief in themselves and that happens very early, and I really have to credit my parents. When I think about the fact that my parents had me when they were 24, <laughs> and, and when I was in Annie, they were 34. And when I think about that, I'm, you know, my, my head explodes because I'm like, I can't even believe how young they were. And I just feel like they did such a good job of, like, making me feel like I could do anything. So that's first of all, I do think some of it comes from that and that I've been able to carry that through with me. And I also have created a system that I call Evolve, the Evolve system of change, which is what I teach my years and years and years of yoga, philosophy, spirituality, understanding how the brain works, and then adding to it, my like high level coaching training, which is based in, you know, obviously neuro, you know, neural linguistic programming and and science. And I really do believe that our ability to weather change is absolutely something that we have to proactively take steps to do. And the reason for that is that our brains do not like change we know that. So whenever we are making a change or whenever we are evolving or, and, and I always say, sometimes it happens, we don't want it, right? Like someone dies, you have a breakup, you get fired, all these things that can happen in life where you are forced to figure out what your next move is. And then sometimes we have the inner knowing that it's time to make a change. Like when, for me, like owning the studio was just getting so out of alignment And I was like, ah, this isn't what I signed up for. You know, it's like my business partner, no one was happy. I was like, I'm going to be 50 years old. Like, what is going on here? I don't want to like have an unhappy business, (laughs) especially one that's yoga, (laughs) you know? So, you know, and so that was me going in my inner voice saying, you can't do this. Nick, it was terrifying. When I started the studio, I literally was like, this is my end game. I'm going to start a yoga studio. I'm going to become like, you know, a big yoga teacher and the studio is going to be really successful and I'm going to have the lifestyle I want. And that was so not what was happening. And so being almost 50 and my inner voice saying, you have to do something different was terrifying. Every single bone in my body wanted to just suffer it out. This is literally what I thought. You're going to be 50 years old running around New York City trying to get hired for classes at other people's yoga studios, no different than when you were 30 and running around auditioning. There was terror in me about that. And there was also the part of me that knows that many, many times in my life, I have been up against a challenge. And I've always figured out what to do. I've always survived. I've always evolved. I have always been able to figure it out, even if I don't know how. I know everything is figure outable.
0: There was so much in that that I, again, could relate to in that you talked about, first of all, yoga being the best mindset tool out there. <laughs> when anybody comes to me and they're like, oh, I'm having these limiting beliefs, I'm like, go get a sadhana. Go practice. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to teach you one, but go practice because it, it is an embodiment of it. It almost forces you on, on the mat and in the sit and to work through some of that stuff almost organically. But also I have this idea that your parents instill it in you and not everyone is, is as fortunate and dare I say privileged as you and I are to have had that. What do you say to somebody out there who's like, my parents did not do that for me? In fact, it was the reverse. They were abusive, or they were maybe not necessarily physically, but emotionally and spiritually. You know, what do you say to somebody like that? How do you how do you get them to go from the angst and the I don't have the confidence, or even the the history of confidence?
1: Something that was a little bit challenging for me to fully embrace when I learned it in my coaching training was the idea that where everyone, all behavior or any choice that we ever make in that moment, it's the best that's available to us in that moment. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I mean, I know there's a difference between like someone who's coming out of a, a physically abusive. I mean, that is not territory that I'm talking about right here. But in the cases where clients and or students that I work with identify that they were not supported, that no one encouraged them. Nobody said, you're so wonderful at that. Like, you know, how can we help you? Like when people come from even money mindset stuff, I mean, there's so much that we inherit.
0: Totally.
1: So when someone says like, you know, well, my parents literally told me I'm not good at that or I'm not good or I can't do things or they said you can't be on stage, you know, whatever it is parents who did not support their children or help them with their confidence, that's because they were doing the best they could in that moment with what they had. And that behavior and that way of interacting, it's not its not excusing it, it's not saying it's good, but... One thing that we have to be able to do, especially if we want to move forward, you know, anyone who wants to move forward from knowing that they have history and things that have impacted how they feel about themselves, you know, the voice in their head. Sometimes it's not your own voice. It's that voice. It's the voice from the past. It's the voice from your parents. And this is the big thing about yoga. Ready? This is, for me, what yoga is. Yoga is all about deciding that you're going to become aware. And the moment you decide to be aware of something, you have all of the power and the power to change what is not working for you, even the way that you think about yourself. It all begins with deciding that you would like to be aware of how you think and how you feel. And at some point, We do have to be willing to let go of why it happened, how we got here, who had an influence on us, who didn't support us, who's a jerk, whatever it is. (laughs) And we have to get to the moment where we decide, now I'm aware, and now I'm going to figure out what I'd like to do about it.
0: Yeah. I talk a lot with my clients about backing up the camera. Yes. Up the I call it right? widening
1: the lens. Yes, widening yes. the lens.
0: <laughs> yes. You know, so so that you can see it from a holistic perspective. Yes. And that's part of that is that 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 awareness, but then it's a, it's almost a broadened awareness beyond the 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 thought itself and into the context in which it was given at the moment. So what was coming up for me as I was listening to this is this idea of risking yourself.
1: A hundred percent so when you were talking about, when you asked me about confidence, what I basically know and what I tell other people is, and I heard this, not, I I knew it myself. And then I got, I had a chance to see an amazingly inspirational speaker named Sean Stevenson um, a few times before he passed away. And he I I call him an inspirationalist or like a motivational speaker, but he he was born with a disease that his bones were so brittle that like he literally, half the bones in his body were broken as he was even being birthed out of the the birth canal. And so his parents were told he wouldn't live past something like two or something. And when I saw him live, he was in his thirties and he was, you know, was in a, was in a wheelchair and he, you know, his body was very, very, very deformed. He was unbelievable. And his mission, he believed that the reason he was put in his body was to basically show people how you can do anything. And that's what he dedicated his life to. And I after I saw him because he, they brought him as a guest a couple of times to the, the retreats that I went on where I went to coaching school. And so one time he was doing a Q&A and someone said to him, Dr. Sean, what would you tell someone who wanted to build up their confidence? How do you build up confidence? And he said, you can't actively build up your confidence. Confidence is a byproduct of doing the things that take courage. Confidence is a byproduct Mm. of every time you take a risk, every time you step outside of your comfort zone, the byproduct of that is a little more confidence. And I don't know about you. I know you work with a lot of creative, soulful entrepreneurs like I do. And, One thing that that I see a lot and that I try to support my clients around is this idea that you can load up on everything that you could possibly need to get the confidence before you have to, like, put yourself out there or before you have to do that new thing that you don't know how to do. And it can be paralyzing if you believe that you can get the confidence first. And it stops so many people from doing the thing, whatever it is, because they have this idea that it's backwards. They think I need the confidence first and then I'll do it. And I have to say, I'm so sorry, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I am so sorry to tell you that. <laughs> and I'm going to hold your hand until the moment you have to jump off. I will be there with you, but that's going to be the only way you're going to get the confidence.
0: You have to jump.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: It's just truth. It's truth. It's messy action, I call it. Messy action, because you only learn that way, and you only grow that way, and and your life only changes, and, and you only have more confidence because of the past experience and you can't have experience without doing it. Exactly. So it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Like you say, I hold, I hold your hand and then you've got to jump.
1: So the risk, that word, the risk, the being a risk taker, that is exactly what it is. And, you know, sometimes I have this joke. I'm like, I will never jump out of an airplane. I will never, I'm not a risk taker in that way. (laughs) Like I will never be physically a risk taker. I'm never going to do any of those things. I'm not going to jump off a cliff. None of that risk appeals to me but the risk of doing things that you really want to do that you might not know how yet, the the risk that is involved in putting your heart on the line, the risk that is involved in being vulnerable because all of this is about vulnerability because why is it a risk? Because we're terrified of what's going to happen to us. Like if I put myself out there, you know, on, on, Facebook or something. I know I'm not going to die, but like the, but, but you know, but the,
0: those seventh grade bullies might, right? They might be back. That's what our fear is. They're there.
1: They're out there. They're on social media. But you know, I, I do think that like that is at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's all about the, our fear of vulnerability, our fear of what's going to happen to our hearts, our fear of rejection. And then, and that's the other thing about the lens pulling back about the widening and pulling back is when we do have to develop the ability Ability to really know that whatever someone else's thinking, whatever someone else's response is to you, and I talk about this so much, if you know where you came from, like if what you're doing is authentic and is from the heart and you're putting your best effort out there and you're in integrity and you're holding true to your values and you're doing your good work, whatever somebody else thinks about it, who cares? because that's them. That's not on you. And I know it's hard to develop that, but to me, that's resilience. Resilience is getting to the point where you can focus on knowing what your intention is, where you're coming from. And when you know that you're in alignment and that you're coming from a place of love and you're heart centered and you're in service, if someone else doesn't like it, that's on them.
0: I love that. I really love that. So all of this journey been phenomenal as you've grown all these years as you have shifted as you have changed as you have risked as you have created over time an even stronger belief in yourself what's next for you
1: what is next for me is well I am uh, in the process of getting my podcast um Yes. Yes. I knew it was always something that was, you know, and again, and here's another example. I mean, look at all the years I spent in the voiceover booth, you know, and so now I don't need an agent. Like I can use my voice the way I want, you know, so doing my podcast and I do have the big vision for myself of being a speaker. I I really, really see myself. And again, that's me being on stage just in a different format. And I, you know, when the world opens up again, and now that I'm an entrepreneur and I'm not beholden in a business model anymore, I can go back to finding a way to sing. And I also am going to be, you know, my big goal for my coaching business because I have gotten, you know, like you all of a sudden, I, found, I had all these people coming to me for business coaching, and, mm-hmm. and we're very similar in so many ways. Because what I help people do is to really find their message. You call it through storytelling, and for mm-hmm. me, and this is this is another thing that that we get we got from yoga. I really believe this because I never would have thought of myself as someone who was, you know, training people to figure out their message. But you know what? I had a message when I was teaching yoga for 20 years, and that's why I had a huge following.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: So I have a business coaching, and I also have the evolution part of my coaching where I support people going through, wanting to make change, wanting to step into what's next for them. And so I'm developing Evolve Academy. Love it. In 2022, I will not feel like I have separate, like kind of coaching. I'm creating my umbrella so that everyone can have the mindset the biz, whatever you want you want mindset you want business you want you know and it can all be
0: yeah because what i've realized over time in my students and, and my my practice as well is that it's actually all together yes one begets the other and the other begets the other so it doesn't matter where the entry point is because it's all so so related to one another exactly where can people find you so that they can come check out your your academy that, that yes. will be happening and your podcast, yes. as well as coach with you currently? Where can they find you?
1: The home base is my website, www.staceybrassrussell.com. I'm obviously on the socials. I mean, I, you know, I'm on Facebook. I have a, a Facebook group called Passionate and Prosperous. And I'm on Instagram, of course. Uh, and now on Clubhouse, who who knew we'd be saying that? I know. But my website is the home base, and I would love to even add to that address. So stacybrassrussell.com dot com slash creative soulpreneur. It'll be written just like your podcast title. And if, if people go there, that's a unique link for us. Um, they can get a gift from me, which is I've created what I call the Rise and Vibe Strategy Practice, and it's for passionate creative solopreneurs that wake up in the morning and really have a lot of things they want to do and don't really know where they should put their time focus and energy first and so it's a little of everything it's a little bit of like do this do some movement breathe set your intention and then here are these questions for you to answer to help you figure out where the best place would be for you to put your your attention for today so That's something that that I'm making available.
0: Well, beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for offering a gift to everyone. I know that they're going to appreciate it, and I appreciate your generosity. Thank you for being here today and sharing your stories and sharing your wisdom and our parallel paths that keep continuing to be parallel. It's like we're the same um, person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for having me.
0: So if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to DM us both on the Grams, on Instagram, a takeaway, a thought. And if you have a question, I'm sure Stacey would be willing to answer because I know that I would be too. And uh, subscribe, like the podcast, tell your friends. See you next time. Thank you.